0: Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together.
1: morning. (laughs) Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of Hope.
0: Our hope is in God and in his son, Jesus Christ. He is our one appointed appointed by God to be judge of all things. He is the one Through. through whom God has prayed to save and re- redeem his people. We light this candle today to remember us that he is our hope and the hope of the world. Thank you, God, for the promise you made to us in beginning, bringing your light.
1: Let us pray. O God of hope, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray you to send your light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the day and the hour of Christ's final appearing. Live in us and help us to live in you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, transform us so that our worship, our celebration, our time of preparation may be pleasing to you, both now and forever. Amen.
0: Right. Job. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship.
2: This is the man who was
3: we are in awe and wonder of who you are and all that you've done for us in Christ. As we begin the season of Advent, we we are struck once again by your amazing love poured out to us in the coming of Christ. We pray that this season will truly be a time for us to, to understand more and more about your great love for us. Bless our worship today. And we uh, pray all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with those who are here in worship today. I just wanted to mention um, one thing as we begin the season of Advent, and you see lots of announcements in your bulletin. But we do have available again this year um, Advent devotionals for the Sundays of Advent. You can do it on your own or with some other people, your family. Um, just a, a brief time to focus our attention on the Sundays of Advent. They're in the back on the table there, in a the little uh, holder. Just feel free to grab those. They also went out with the highlights this week, also. But uh, just one way, again, of uh, helping us focus our attention on Christ as uh, the season has a lot of other things with it as well. Many good things, but making sure that we focus our attention on Christ in the midst of that. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
2: Be
0: still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order A
2: joyful
0: end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know His voice who ruled them while He dwelt below. staying on, when we shall be
2: forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow for God, love's purest joy is restored.
0: All safe and blessed, we shall
2: meet at last.
3: stillness of God's presence and of his grace. We have a chance to pray together and if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we are blessed today to gather in your presence, to worship you, to open our lives to you, to pray to you. Lord, we pray for the needs and the burdens of our lives and of this world, knowing that you hear us and that you answer in ways that are beyond us. We pray today, Father, for all who are grieving. And we think especially of Diane Emmons and her family, the recent death of her mother. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with issues of health. We pray for Ellis Brotsman and Vesta Mullen, for Tim Nichols and Bruce Brenneman, for Bill Roski. For Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth, Alton Shea, for Isla Shea and Dick Gould, for Edna Howard and Crystal Blake, for Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our minds today. We know that you are the great physician who can heal all of our diseases. We pray for your healing. Father, we pray for the world beyond us. And we think especially today of the ministry of Wesleyan Native Ministries in the Midwest. During this season of the year when there are special events of music and drama and outreach, we pray, Father, for the sailways that you will bless them and the New Life Church. May your spirit be so evident in their ministry, and in their work. And the hearts will be open to you because of what you're doing through them. We continue to pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are facing persecution. At this time of year, when the presence of the church may be more visible because of the celebration of the coming of your Son, The opposition may be even more intense. We pray for strength, for protection, for courage, for grace, for your spirit. May the witness of your people in some of these most difficult circumstances open the door for your Holy Spirit to work miraculously. Father, we continue to pray for people who are suffering from the Ebola virus and from other diseases, from famine and droughts and just war and all of this, the pain of this world. We ask for your grace to intervene in each situation. Father, during this Advent season, we pray that you will give us Eyes to see and ears to hear. Open our hearts that you might work in us. That as your people of old anticipated the coming of the Messiah. We may once again anticipate Christ coming into our lives. Into this world. Into this place. And that we might live in the anticipation of his reappearing. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for your grace and mercy upon each of us. Give us sensitivity to you this day and in the days to come. And we offer our prayer in the strong and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came among us as a baby. Went to the cross for our sins, who rose again to give us life and promises to return that we might be with him, and who left us a model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts
1: Scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And immediately following the scripture reading, children uh, for the children's church are dismissed. There will not be junior church today, but there is children's church. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough oil for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Please
0: stand and join us.
3: Father, we thank you for all that you have promised us, and we pray that you will continue to speak into our lives as we continue to worship you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. The word Advent from the Latin means to come or coming. And, uh, during the season of Advent, the uh, focus is, of course, on the coming of Jesus into the world as, as a baby in Bethlehem. But historically, through the history of the church, the church has also, during Advent, used this as a time to talk about the second coming of Jesus. And so as we were looking at the questions that you asked, this is one of the questions related to that. So I thought, well, this connects well with Advent, so we'll just talk about it during the season I and mean, the first half of the question is, when will Christ return? And I think I've figured out the answer to that. You know, people have always been asking that question a lot. And there are people all the time who will tell you a date and things. I think I've figured it out. It's going to be August 19th, 2059. About 3.42 in the morning, I think it's kind of. You're going, what? That's my 100th birthday. Figure what? why not, right? And my, according to my mother, that's just about the precise time when it would be exactly 100 years. Well, you know, you, you, we laugh at that and we say, well, that's just ludicrous. And, and yet, through history, there have been people who have, that have arisen at different times and said, I figured out the day, the time, the hour when Jesus is going to return. And it's, it makes no sense because when you read the Gospels, you find Jesus saying... Nobody knows the day or the hour. Said, the angels don't know. He says he doesn't know. Only the Father knows. So for us to say we're going to, we're going to set some dates and times is a waste. It's a waste of our energy. It's a waste of our time. That's not what this is all about. As much as we want to know, you know, we, we do love to know. We want to figure out why and when, when these things are going to happen. And we love that kind of date setting. We're, people are attracted to that. I mean, if, you, if you're, if you're um, influential enough and charismatic enough, you can get a big following of people if you declare a time and a date. There's something about that that we're enamored with. But Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour, and we shouldn't even be worrying about that part of it. But he does tell us there are things that we can do about it. And it really, most of it is the attention that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, and actually even as you go back to the Old Testament, as they're talking about the Messiah, and even some beyond that, really talking about how we prepare for the coming of Christ. It's not about setting a date. It's about being ready. And when we read through the New Testament, we find a number of examples about the the admonitions to prepare, to to watch, to be ready. Just a, a quick sampling of some of them from the Gospels. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Be always on the watch. saying, watch, prepare, be ready. When I read that, I always think back to uh, my time of working in the emergency room at the University of Kentucky Medical Center. Well, I was in seminary the first three years I was in seminary. I worked at the hospital in Lexington, and I didn't do any medical work. just wanted to be clear, clear about that. They didn't let me go near that, but I did clerical work. You know, I'm the person everyone loves to talk to when you get to the emergency room and, well, give me your insurance information and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I did get to see a lot of fascinating things while I was there in the emergency room, and it was a great experience. It was wonderful to, to interact with people and made a lot of good friendships, and it was a great experience. But as I think about, I was thinking about that and this whole idea of watching, preparing, being ready for—you know—it's what the whole emergency room is about. People are prepared because you never know what's going to come through the door. Might be something somewhat insignificant in some sense, and yet, or it might be a huge trauma. But what struck me as I, as I thought back about that is that everyone in the emergency room was always prepared. But they, but no one was panicked. And the reason they weren't panicked is because they were ready. And I, I you know, you, you watch them and somebody was in a, in a room. And as soon as they were, a patient was done being treated, whether it was just one of the side rooms or it was a trauma room. As soon as that patient was done and that patient left the room... The immediate thing that happened was the room was cleaned and restocked. And I seen it happen over and over and over again. Every single time. That was the very first thing that happened. And you would watch. Sometimes the custodial people would clean it. Sometimes if it didn't, didn't need to be, the nurse would go in, restock whatever supplies were used. So that when the next person came, everything was in its place and everything was ready. And when you have that kind of preparation, you don't have to live in panic and worry. You're ready. And, and that's why, we, and so as we were waiting for patients to come, and sometimes you'd have lulls of time, people would talk, people would, you know, we talk about basketball, we talk about life, people would, you know, bring food in and eat meals together, and, and you just sort of interacted with each other. And there was, was a great calm about it. And as soon as something traumatic came in or as soon as the next patient entered, everyone dropped what they were doing. They kicked into action and were ready to go because everything was in its place. Everyone had been trained. Everyone was ready. The whole place was just a a picture of preparation. And when I read through the New Testament and I read about this idea of preparing for the coming of Christ, there is not a sense of panic there 's not a sense of of feeling obsessed about it, but a sense of relaxed calm of being ready. Now, not everybody has that perspective. He, Paul writes to the thessalonians and and they they believe that they've found out found a date, and they believe that the return of Christ is within a certain few weeks and so some of them have succumbed to that and they have sold their possessions and basically packed up their stuff and they're waiting on the mountainside for jesus to come back for them and when he doesn't come and they keep waiting they go to their brothers and sisters and say hey we need some food while we wait and we need a place to sleep while we wait and paul writes to them and says look you got to stop that You know, this is not about being idle. It's not about, you know, stopping your work and not doing anything and just sitting in there and waiting for Jesus. You keep going. You keep living life. The Corinthians take the opposite perspective. There's a sense with them that they believe that they they figured out the date. It's a little ways off so they can live however they want to. And Paul also speaks to them about it. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story that a family was we sitting around the dinner table one Sunday after the sermon had been about the second coming, and they were talking about it. And the son said, you know, I don't understand what we're supposed to do about this. And the father said, well, you know, there's a lot we don't know, but we just be ready. And the best way to be ready is just live each day as if it were your last. And the teenage son said, I tried that once, and you grounded me for a month. I'm not sure that's the right solution. I think when you read through the scriptures, you find that preparation is not about date setting. You know, we were talking about this in a group the other day. And if you, have, if you know a date, then what's our human nature? Our human nature is to say, I'll kind of do what I want until I get really close to that date. And then I'll shift gears. I mean, it's just human nature to do that. Isn't that why stores stay open on Christmas Eve? For all the husbands who haven't bought their gifts yet? Waiting for the last minute because we know we can do it? I mean, the, some people say that's the busiest day of shopping day of the year. Because we have this tendency to procrastinate and to wait if we think we have the time. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus is completely, gives no real indication about date setting. Because he knows our nature. He knows how we tend to live. And the point is not that we figured out the date and so we'll do whatever we want, live however we want until we get close to that. And then we'll turn things around. It's about living for Christ all the time. It's not a momentary decision and then that's it. It's a lifestyle. Being prepared for the coming of Christ is about living a lifestyle of preparation. Living every moment, every day. See, any other perspective, that perspective of, well, I'll just kind of do what I want for a while, just simply reveals how skewed our view is of what it means to be a disciple. Something of, some we've been convinced that being, a, the primary thing about being a disciple of Jesus is getting to heaven. And while that is extremely important, being a disciple of Christ is just as much about how we live now. It's about living in the presence and the peace and the grace of Christ now. If we believe that being a follower of Jesus is the is the most powerful, the most wonderful way to live, then we do that now. And then we enjoy the benefits of heaven then. But it starts now. It starts with how we live now in every moment. When you read this, this parable of, the, of the, the virgins, you have a sense that you know they don't have any idea when all of this is going to take place. And the bottom line is Jesus says, be ready all the time, and something in back of our minds wants to say, "Well, that means I have to be ready every moment of every day." Yeah, but isn't that what we sh- want to do? Don't we want to live in the presence of Christ every moment and every day? See, really being prepared is not this sense of, oh, I, I hope I'm making, I hope I'm doing this right. I hope I'm getting ready. I hope I'm getting myself in the right perspective. It, it's more just about following Jesus. It's not living in the grace of Christ every day of our lives. When you read this parable, Jesus is clear to say that there is a distinction between people who are prepared and people who are not. And he he calls the people who are prepared wise, and the people who are not, he calls them fools. And how they are prepared is what sets them apart. This isn't the first time Jesus has used those words to describe people who are prepared and not. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two people who build houses. And he says... You've got got a man who builds a house, and he builds it on solid rock. And he's wise. And you have another man who builds a house, and he builds it on shifting sand, and he's a fool. Because when the storm comes, the house built on the rock stands. The house built on the sand crumbles. And we tend to take that story and just sort of see it as... Something over here that has nothing to do with what's gone before it. But, you know, it's in the context of everything Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. And we have a tendency to, to think that being wise and being foolish is... Well, everybody agrees with that. Everybody in the world would understand that it's wise to build your house on the solid rock and it's foolish to build it on the sand. Or in other words, it's wise to build your life on Jesus and the principles of Jesus and it's foolish to not but we know that's not how most people think because the kingdom of god tends to turn around what means what it means to be wise and foolish as compared to how the rest of the world views being wise and foolish and the sermon on the mount is a perfect example of that so jesus is saying to be wise to build your house on the solid rock go back to the beatitudes It's about being poor in spirit. It's about being willing to grieve over our sins and and, and the pain of the world. It's about people who are not enamored with possessions, but who are willing and love to give away what we have. It's about people who see being persecuted for Christ as a blessing. It's about people who live their lives in such a way that we turn the other cheek, we forgive, we go the extra mile. It's about people who are so concerned and interested in what how God views things, that it's not just our actions, as important as those are, but it's what we think. It's our attitudes. It's the spirit in which we do what we do. Instead of taking advantage of people, sometimes we, people, take advantage of us. Instead of getting back at people, we take it from other people. Instead of seeing how much we can amass... We see how much we can give away. Instead of seeing the world in terms of power, we see the world in terms of our willingness to be vulnerable and even weak, to sacrifice ourselves like Christ. There aren't a lot of people in the world who would say, that's a wise way to live. In fact, most people would look at that and say, that's foolish. That's not how you get ahead in this world. That's not success in this world. That's not going to get you anywhere in this world. But that's the kingdom. It's what we see modeled in Jesus. I mean, and it starts right in this, in his birth. Born in this obscure, out-of-the-way place. Born to common parents. Laid in a manger, in a stable. I mean, there is nothing that the world glorifies in the coming of Christ. And yet, it is the way of wisdom and the way of the kingdom and the way to prepare. It's the calling of, of God on our lives as we think about how we prepare for His second coming. You know, I actually prefer the term second appearing instead of second coming, even though it's not inappropriate to use that language. It, it, the, the idea of second coming can communicate to us that Jesus has gone away from us and he's not with us at all and that someday he's going to come back to us. And while the scripture uses that kind of language, I, I think the, the, the idea of second appearing... Helps us remember that Christ is always with us. That what will happen is he will be revealed to us in a way that we can't see him now. He will be revealed in his power as the King of all, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He will be revealed as being present with us. And on that day, when he comes, we will see things in a way we've never seen them before. What, what we talk about is wise and foolish. On that day, all of that will make sense because Christ appears. See, sometimes I think, especially in, in our tradition where we don't typically take positions in, in, as some other churches do about things like the millennium and the tribulation and all those things, sometimes we have a tendency to to look at the, the second appearing of Christ as so, almost an appendage to our faith. We don't, we don't talk about it probably as much as we should. But it is not an appendage to our faith. It is central to our faith. Because of the coming of Christ, how we live now makes sense. Because of the coming of Christ, how we define what's wise and what's foolish makes sense. When you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul has talked in this whole chapter about the resurrection of Christ and what that means for us and what it will mean for us on that day. He gets to the end and he says, because Christ will appear, because of his second appearing, all of this you're doing your labors, your preparation is not in vain. It makes sense. Because what we do here is not the end. And one day, Christ is going to appear. And the things that don't make sense will be clear. And the way in which the world judges things and views things and prioritizes things will be shown to be unwise, foolish, and the ways of God true and real and wise. And unlike his first coming, which is done basically in secret, solitude, quiet, the second appearing is going to be a secret to no one. You know, sometimes we have this mindset that, that, you know, when Christ comes back, that all of a sudden people will disappear and everyone will say, hey, what happened? That's not the image that I get find when I read the scriptures. When you read there in 1 Thessalonians 4 and Paul talks about the angels shouting and the trumpet sounding. And I think everyone's going to know Jesus is here. And on that day, it is going to be more awesome than we can imagine. You know, as I was pondering this this whole idea and trying to process it, I began to realize that, you know, at least in my upbringing and my impression of this, it really, more than anything, was couched in fear. I don't know about you, but... For me, it was couched in fear. Maybe it was the movies that we saw that did that to us. I don't know. And granted, there is judgment. There there is going when Scripture is clear that when Christ appears, that there will be a sense of judgment about it. But it's judgment in grace. For the Christ who has come into the world as a baby, He came to set us free from our sin as as John Jesus says in John's gospel that he came into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world and sometimes we have this sense of the re, second appearing of Christ as to be a, an event of that we are to fear but it's not a time to fear it's a time to rejoice it's a time to celebrate for Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is going to come and make everything right. And everything that is cloudy will be clear. And everything that, that, you know, is, that is uncertain to us will be clear. And what is now considered foolish by the world will be viewed as wise. And we will see him as he is and that's why Paul writes i think it's to Titus and he talks about the appearing of Christ as our blessed hope and instead of it being something that brings fear to us something that that we we sort of shake and worry and live in anxiety about we live in joy And the warnings of Scripture are not intended to frighten us. They're intended to simply help us look at our lives, think about our hearts, and prepare to be ready for His coming. And so this morning, as you think about your life, if you're not prepared, then this is the great time to say, Lord, I want to open my heart to you. But if you are walking with Jesus, instead of seeing this event as something to be afraid of, as something to feel anxious about, it ought to be something we embrace with joy and excitement and anticipation because our Lord is going to appear. He's going to set everything to rights. And he is going to give us all that he has promised to each of us as his children. And it is a reason to celebrate for Christ's coming. Holy Father, we thank you for the promise of Christ. We thank you so much for his first appearing. And what that means to us in the world. And Father, we thank you for the promise of his second appearing. Let it so fill our hearts with joy and hope and love. That we live our days in joyful anticipation. We live our days following Christ, serving Christ, and bearing witness to Christ, others around us. Father, help us to live in that hope this day and every day through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.
2: Please
0: stand and join us as we sing together.
2: True.
3: Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.